Money FM 89.3. Best of breakfast. The Business View. Good morning, I'm Sean Chong with today's US Markets Wrap. Over in the US, the week seems to have started positively. The S&P was slightly on Monday, with the ongoing debt ceiling, of course, still going to be weighing high on traders' minds. This border index added 0.3%, closing at 4,136 points. Meanwhile, the Dow Jones Industrial Average snapped a five-day losing streak to hit 33,348 points, up by 0.14%. And the tech-heavy Nasdaq Composite also outperformed, rising 0.66%, closing in at 12,365 points. And to unpack all of this, we are joined by Gregory Bunch, the founder and managing director of the Veritas Financial Group. He is speaking to us all the way from the United States. How are you, Mr. Bunch? I'm great, Sean. Thanks for having me on. Obviously, Greg, we haven't seen much uh, results from uh, President Joe Biden's meeting with Congress on the debt ceiling this week. And just over the weekend, we heard U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen further hint that the U.S. would avoid a default. With the same talks expected to go in Congress tomorrow, how are the sentiments right now? Is it different from a week ago? So I think we can tell what the sentiment is based on what the market's doing. And the market hasn't largely reacted to this at all. Uh, I think that the sentiment must then be that they're going to reach a deal. And I think that that's based solely on the fact that we always have. I think that that ignores that the political infrastructure or the political structure that we're dealing with now is very different than it was in the past. It's very different than it was in 2011 when we came up into the X state. Previously, I think both sides knew that the other side did not want to actually default. And so they could operate on that basis knowing that they would eventually reach a deal. I don't think that we can say that in 2023, particularly when you have the de facto head of the Republican Party calling publicly for his party to push for default. And so while the market is treating this like a zero probability event that we would default, I think that that's wrong. I think that there's some probability that we need to assign to this and that's not reflected in these market levels yet. Right now, if we're looking at the volatility index as well, the, the VIX seems to still be relatively bullish yesterday. It's still recording in at $17. So exactly how much is weighing on what Congress decides in a day's time? What's the likely impact you're expecting to see, especially with jitters in the banking sector, along with potential widespread looming issues on the uh, commercial real estate ahead? Right. And so let me separate these uh, a little bit here, Sean. So in terms of expectations, we have some history to guide us. In 2011, in the two to three weeks before the X date, we saw the markets really risk off. We saw them lose about 20% in those two weeks before the X date. I expect something similar to happen here because as we get closer to that June 1st, what is likely to be June 1st date, Mm -hmm. the market will have to put some of this bullishness aside and assign some probability that some extraordinary measure may be required to resolve this, whether that's default, whether that's the president using the 14th Amendment, whether it's issuing consoles, none of that is good. All of that would likely result in a downgrade of the U.S. debt. Now, you also mentioned two other issues that the market will start to take a look at, which is, number one, the health and solvency of the regional banks. And so in the event that we experience one of those extraordinary measures, well, that's going to put more pressure on credit. That's going to provide some upward uh, pressure for interest rates, but it will also cause further tightening in underwriting standards. And banks are, quite frankly, in the business of loaning money. That's how they make their money, mm-hmm. on their net interest margin. And so if you have banks preserving capital, then they're making less money with tighter net interest margins. And so that's not good for the banking system either, which then exacerbates this looming commercial real estate issue, 
which is a lot of what was financed in 2020, 2021, when money was free, is no longer free. Much of that was variable. Uh, some of that needs to be repriced in the next year or two. Many of those owners will have to make an injection of equity. And so you're going to see some very high-profile commercial real estate defaults as well, which will be problematic primarily for the regional and small banks where 75% of that paper is held. And so we could very well see, maybe not immediately, we could very well see other small and mid-sized banks in very similar positions as where we saw Silicon Valley Bank. The depositor has gotten much more discriminating about where they keep their money. There's certainly been a flight to safety there, or at least a flight to get under the insurance levels, although that's quelled somewhat. But the depositors are very discriminating in terms of what yield they're getting now, having already had a reason to think about where their deposits are. And so as the cost of funding has gone up for those banks, if they are not in a position to make money and they have a very high concentrated portfolio towards commercial real estate, which becomes non-performing, then we could very well see other Silicon Valley banks happen. So what are the estimates telling you right now? Because some are saying that corporate America's earnings uh, says that the recession has already arrived. Uh, Has that been priced in, you think, and how worried are you about it? So I disagree with the notion that the earnings have told us that the recession has arrived, right? This, This past quarter, the first quarter, was the first quarter where consensus was even directionally correct. Remember, in the fourth quarter, we went into that quarter thinking um, positive uh, mid-single digits. Well, by the end of the quarter, consensus was down to a negative 5%. We reported negative 6%. In the first quarter, consensus tried to catch up, and consensus was at a negative 6, and it was surprisingly strong. We finished with a negative 2.2. My concern is that for the second quarter, maybe the second quarter where consensus at a negative 5 is directionally correct, my concern is for the third quarter and the fourth quarter where consensus is at 1.8% growth and an astounding 9% growth for the fourth quarter. I have no idea how you get there, particularly when we saw with the Empire State Index today going wildly negative. And so the fact remains that everything the Fed did over the last six to nine months, we still haven't seen the full impact, particularly if underwriting standards are going to continue to go up, particularly if banks are going to be much more cautious about how and when and how much they lend, all of that is deleterious to growth. And so how are we going to see 10% growth in the back quarter of this year? I'm almost assigning a 0% probability to that. I am assigning a 0% probability to consensus's $245 of earnings in 2024. So it sounds like there's a lot of market cost currents to navigate right now. Of course, we have the overhang of the debt ceiling, economic data. Of course, the Fed again will be meeting next month in June. What's the scariest story that we should be aware of right now? So there's three of them, and, and I, will, I will try to rank order them. The scariest is, is the debt ceiling, right? If you believe that there's a 0% probability that, that we can go into default, it's not scary. But I think that the most poignant minds on this issue would tell you otherwise. I mean, you had no other than Jamie Dimon saying that he's prepared a war room and he's meeting every day about this. So you don't have to listen to Greg Branch, but certainly listen to Jamie Dimon. And if he's meeting with his top team every day about this, it's a concern that people should take seriously. So that's my number one, because it's the most immediate. My number two in terms of the market is, is and we've been over this uh, just now, is that the estimates are just way too high for the back half of this year and for 2024. That's going to present a headwind to the market. 
And then lastly, I, I put the CREs last. Okay. Because like I said, some, some of that debt doesn't have to be refinanced until 2024, 2025. Looking ahead then, since we're talking about immediate scares, in this coming week, we'll be looking at retailers uh, having some earnings released. They'll be taking center stage. Walmart, Target, Home Depot in particular. What is catching your eye? And to what extent will this upcoming earnings be a mirror reflection of the inflation story, given that this sector relies heavily on consumers? It's really where the rubber hits the ground. So we'll be looking for two things, um, carrying on from what we heard and saw from in the first quarter. The first is that the consumer remained fairly strong. Yes, retail came in, retail spending came in about 10 basis points each for the first two months, uh, sorry, the second and third month of this year, um, but that wasn't a significant amount. But what the retailers did say is that they saw spending shift from discretionary to non-discretionary. And I think that that points out that the consumer balance sheet is really deteriorating quite quickly. When we talk about there still being excess savings from the COVID largesse, we're largely talking about the, the, the highest socioeconomic groups. We're not talking about middle-income earners and less. And so, yeah, there's still some savings left, but, but it's highly concentrated in a very small percentage of the population. When you look at the U.S. savings rate, you know, we went down to less than 3% a few months ago. And so the consumer balance sheet is really deteriorating quite quickly. We now have record credit card debt at some of the highest interest rates we've ever seen. And so everywhere you look, you say that this level of consumer spending is probably not sustainable. And I think that the retailers pretty much told us that when they reported earnings and they warned about a weakening environment, they warned about much of the spending shifting to lower margin, non-discretionary items. I think that that was a, 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 a cloaked warning that the environment's going to get quite challenging for these retailers. Of course, we have more clarity on these matters well, by the end of the week when they're all released. Uh, I do want to look at oil prices. Uh, oil prices too was a dollar a barrel on Monday after three straight sessions of decline. Uh, despite pressures from recession fears, we saw a boost there uh, by the prospect of tightening supplies in Canada due to the wildfires as well as elsewhere. So are uh, the recent OPEC cuts likely to have greater impact as we move through the summer? Right. And, and I think that that's... Um, that's somewhat connected to, to several of the issues we were talking about, right? And so when you see a plunge like we've seen in the Empire State Index uh, today, that, that for, forbears a rapid and significant decrease in manufacturing activity over the next few months, which would obviously uh, not be a, a tailwind for the price of energy. Uh, and furthermore, if tightening credit, increasing interest rates, spurred by all things, by a U.S. default globally, that, that would slow down global growth as well. And we know that the commodity is always going to be subject to that to some degree. OPEC and the producers will try to respond by limiting production, but there's only so much that they can do on that end, right? Some of these countries need to produce a certain amount to remain economically viable. Um, that said, I'm not really scared about the price of oil long term, particularly when you're talking about the U.S. companies. They've demonstrated a great ability to um, have efficiencies offset the commodity price. And so I think you've seen that reflected in the fact that the stocks haven't actually come in to the degree that the commodity has. Just to wrap things up here, um, $17 VIX on with all these uh, headwinds coming uh, and all this data coming through, all these overhangs. Uh, how, how are you feeling about this? I'll give you my recommendation because how I feel doesn't matter, right? But my recommendation is 
Position yourself in short-duration fixed income instruments. Two years ago, we weren't paid to do that. Now we can cut the coupon. We can get a 4 to 5% yield to wait till some of this passes. And so we have historically low exposure to equities right now because I believe we will get equities cheaper on the other side of some of these headwinds when they're resolved. That will be a buying opportunity. And we'll wait until consensus comes in line and the expectations for 2024 aren't so wildly optimistic. That's when I'll become more bullish. That's when we can jump out. And so, so being in the short end of the curve, being in short duration is important so that we can take advantage of that opportunity. But, you know, we'll, we'll take the 4 to 5% yield and wait there while we wait for that opportunity. Well, thank you very much. So we've been speaking to founder and managing director of Veritas Financial Group, Gregory Bunch. And uh, you have a uh, good evening ahead, sir. Thank you, Sean. I'll talk to you soon. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SPH Radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.